Hello, PolyM fam, and welcome to Talk Your Poly Off, presented by ilovepoly.org. This is your podcast for ethically navigating your relationships, your community, and yourself for a healthier and happier lifestyle. This is Bella Doll. She is my sunshine full of giggles. And this is Joshua Monsuda, the logic to my emotion and the chaos to my order. So now you know us. Pull up a seat and let's talk our poly off. Hello and welcome to Talk Your Poly Off. I'm Monsida. And I'm Bella. And here we are in quarantine again. Yep. And today's a very special day. Why is today a very special day? Because we have a guest. Oh, we have a guest. Yes. I should have put some clothes on. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) We've got our friend Amelia here with us today on the phone. Amelia, say hi. Hi, guys. Yay. So how's it going in quarantine, I guess, is the first thing. Yeah. Maybe uh, it's it's going. You know, I am not built for quarantine. <laughs> I always thought I was an introvert until quarantine happened, and then I realized I am not an introvert. I am an introvert with extrovert tendencies. Yeah, I can see that. A lot of introverts are starting to find that through this, where they felt like they needed their own space. Once they get everything they always wanted, now they're like, oh, fuck, let me out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm used to running around a lot, you know, taking kids to appointments, work meetings, seeing partners, just thrift shopping, just generally getting out there. And all of a sudden having to halt that has been really challenging. Yeah. Are you still working? Are you working from home? Working from home, which which is hard when I have three of my partners are not working right now. And so I'm finding myself having that fear of missing out a little bit because they're off stressed out, of course, because they've lost income, but you know, sleeping in and doing fun things around the house and things like that. And I'm at work and I'm just like, Oh, I completely understand that being the one that's also still working and he's not. And I mean, like he said, he slept in until noon today because he was up till 3 a.m. And I'm like, oh, man, I had to go to bed at 9 because I'm up at 4.45. Now, right. in all fairness, even on weekends, <laughs> you're still in bed before midnight. You're like Cinderella. <laughs> if we don't have plans, I'm like, well, I have nothing better to do, so I'm going to go to bed. But if we've I'm the same way. I'm the same way. Yeah, if we're going to do a fire or we're going to do something. You're still I'm, in bed by midnight. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> So I totally get that. And being in a house as a person who is no longer essential <laughs> with someone who is essential, I want someone to stay up late with and tool around with and do all the fun with. And you think you got to work or something. <laughs> I know. I'm no fun. Do you think it's having an impact on your relationship dynamics? The fearing missing out or? I think that there is some challenges balancing relationships because I am nesting with one partner and I have three other partners. And so I like to try to make sure that not everyone needs equal time because it's not about being equal. It's about equity, but making sure everyone's getting their needs met. And I can't really do that very well when there's all these restrictions in place for, for everyone's safety. It just makes it more challenging to get that in-person time. Are you doing anything to try and make up for the in-person time? Like, have you guys come up with, you know, the Zoom dates or things like that? We have. We do video chat almost once a day um, with some partners uh, and just texting a lot, sending pictures, just trying to make sure that we're still getting that quality time. I found that it's really helpful to do some online games 
with partners. I really enjoyed Yahtzee in the past with, with partners until it got a little too competitive and we needed to take a break. <laughs> Yahtzee got too competitive. It did. Well, I really think there's something rigged in the game, Yahtzee with friends, because I was always losing and that just doesn't seem right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I know I want to ask. So you're doing video stuff and trying to do the games and calls with the partners that are out of the house. You and your nesting partner, how are you making it special for any date nights? Or how are you trying to make it special with the nesting partner who you just live with every day when you can't go out for a date night? Right. Going to the grocery store has become kind of exciting because we do go together. So that's been nice. <laughs> and I appreciate that because I, I was in a relationship before where I had to do all the shopping by myself. And so having somebody who's willing to go with me, I think is a really great treat and I really enjoy it. Yeah, that's <laughs> so hey, I go with you almost all the time. We have a reserved date night. Mm -hmm. uh, and on those date nights, we like to order out food so that we're still making it a little different. It's not another night of us just cooking, but we're ordering out. We're watching intentionally watching a, a movie together or playing a game or working on our puzzle. But it's just that what is the word I'm looking for? The commitment to spending that quality time together. This is we're intentionally spending quality time versus we're just sitting on the couch like we always do. Right. So are you a parent? <laughs> I, I am a parent. I am a parent to two biological children. I was also a foster parent for years. So I have some bonus children that pop in from time to time. Bonus children. I love that. Bonus children. Yeah. My kids are 13 and 10. And are they, are they home with you? They are not currently home with me. They're with their dad at the moment. So you haven't, you haven't had to do homeschooling or anything? Very small bit. So my 13-year-old is a rock star and will do his schoolwork on his own. And then my 10-year-old, if you just mention the word school, he like curls up in a ball and starts hissing. Oh, no. <laughs> so we're baby-stepping that one. So how does, how do you feel the interaction is with the children through this self-quarantine thing? I don't know really any parents that have ever had to deal with this sort of thing in my lifetime. So this is new for all of us. What parenting experiences have you had that are unique to this situation? What is really interesting is that when my children were younger, I homeschooled them. And then when my oldest was in the third grade, I was ready for them to go to school. So I didn't necessarily see myself going back to this like homeschooling life. It's been fascinating to have this shared traumatic experience with my children because we don't have a lot of shared trauma bonds really, but we're going through this experience together and it's been fascinating to talk about how we're really a part of history that we're going to be able to look back and talk about this in history classes. And my kids are like, I can't wait till I tell my grandkids what I was doing during the quarantine. <laughs> That's so cool to talk about though. Like that they, that you guys have the like wherewithal or whatever it's called to be in the moment and know in the future, my kids are going to ask me where I was. <laughs> That's cool. Yep. You also mentioned something that I found extremely interesting, not so much for polyamorous podcast, but just as a life experience, when you said that you and your children are sharing a traumatic bond. Yeah. Right. 
kind of a profound statement. Like a lot of people see traumatic experiences as bad things or things to hide from. And it sounds like you're finding a way to embrace this with your children in a way that helps you grow and move forward. I mean, like, is that is that what you meant by that? Yeah, I meant, so trauma is something that happens to us that causes us pain or discomfort that just really kind of changes the way we see the world. And that experience is happening to me and my children. It's We're changing how we're, we see the world, how we move through the world. And I think that by really connecting with my children and talking about that, and I mean, really not just my children, with other people too, talking about that, brings us closer together and it makes it a shared experience. So it's less isolating and it become more of a positive experience. I think that yeah. is a beautiful philosophy and I'm really glad that you mentioned it and, and gave me a new little phrase to think about for moving forward in this life because that was, that was pretty legit. Honestly. Yeah. My traumatic bond experience that profoundly changed my life was getting shot. And for me, I've always thought that it was a great thing. Sure, it was fucked up and, you know, I got physically and mentally changed forever. But for me, it was a positive forward changing force. Right. And there's a lot of times where I can't understand how people don't see trauma in a, in a positive light. So hearing you say that was, I don't know, it was really cool. And it was kind of like someone gets the idea of it. Mm -hmm. So I'm really glad for that. Yeah. I really don't thank have you. a follow-up question. <laughs> I just wanted to say thank you because that was amazing. <laughs> well, you're welcome. <laughs> I do want to take us back. I mean, we kind of talked a little bit about the Corona stuff and what's going on, but we want to know a little bit more about you and Polly. Oh yeah, we jumped straight. We into jumped corona. straight into Corona, and and I want to go back a little bit. Um, like just in general, what's your Polly story? How did you get into it? So I was actually, I never really understood monogamy as a young, as a young person. I always thought that was kind of weird because I was just like, we're meant to like spread our seed and evolve and all that kind of stuff. So the idea of sexual monogamy didn't make sense. However, romantic monogamy made sense to me. I was like, so with my partner's before and it was really just one because I started dating my ex-husband at the age of 15 so my really one relationship through all of this I was like you can go forth and have sex with whoever you want but don't you dare fall in love with somebody else I am your one and only like even when I if I die before you do you are not to like have sex with people more than once like you're one and done <laughs> so it was very fascinating when I kind of stumbled into Polly because I really did just kind of stumble into it was my ex-husband and I decided to join Tinder to flirt with people because we had seen a lot of good news articles about, you know, pickup lines and stuff that were happening on Tinder. So we thought, what the heck, let's join. We'll flirt a little bit and see what happens. Not the best plan because flirting is a very broad general term. So my flirting and my ex-husband's flirting were far different. And so when we kind of compared notes, it was not a good, good thing. And there was a lot of hurt feelings and a lot of trust issues. So, but during that time, I met some 
some one really amazing person and started getting a lot of feelings for that person. And that's when I stumbled into polyamory because I was having conflicting emotions where I was very much in love with my husband, but I had these other feelings for this other person. And how can that work? And what does that mean? And so for a while, I thought I had to leave my husband. And I did because I was having these other feelings for this other person. So obviously, I'm not happy with my husband. Right. That's very common. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't until, you know, through lots of conversations that three of us decided to try it and make it work. Long story short, it did not work out with me and my ex-husband for a lot of other reasons. Polly was not the reason our relationship broke up. There was other things going on. Polly is just really good at being a microscope on all the issues in your life. And so all of those were just magnetized and sometimes you just can't work through things. Yeah, totally get it. Yeah. Well, and then, so I don't know about your experience. I guess I'm leading into that. In my experience, I recently left a partnership of 20 plus years and Polly wasn't quite the issue. There was plenty other things that rolled into that. A lot of which was lack of communication, lack of honesty and stuff. And the dissolution happened as quietly as it may or may not have happened. Even so, those in my friend or family circle who are not polyamorous ignored all of the stuff that made the relationship dissolve and wagged a finger at polyamory. Did you find that experience also? Oh, yeah. Big time. I would say the majority of his family feels that way. Is it, do you have different, or is it funny looking back, like on what you originally thought, ethical non-monogamy or swinging or polyamory, what they would be? And then now that you've been doing it for a while and you've grown and learned, is it funny to look back on maybe what some of your early ideas were? Oh, yeah. I was so naive and young and adorable and I'm happy for all of the growth, even though there was so much discomfort with that growth. And I really don't know how I got through it sometimes. It's been beautiful being on the other side of it. With all that growth and like the beauty in it, but it was hard and difficult and sometimes really awful. Do you think you would go back and change anything if you could? If I could go back and do things differently, I would go slower. As my mom always says, and I always tell people this, nobody regrets going slow. Everyone kind of regrets that they go too fast. And so I think that it would have been good for everyone involved if it had moved even more slowly in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about how when you were at the beginning of your polyamorous journey versus now, when you were first falling into it, What was like your fantasy poly situation? I think like everyone, I was always in love with the idea of kitchen table polyamory. Mm -hmm. I've always been just really drawn to close-knit communities and large families. And for a while it was organized religion, but we won't get into that. (laughs) So I've always had this drive to build a community. And so kitchen table polyamory is very much that building of a community where it's equal and equitable and you get to have relationships with all these different people and you get different people bring out different parts of you. So even if you're not romantically involved with somebody or sexually involved with somebody, what they bring out in you is very unique. And so I like having the experience of having a lot of different people around because I just think it makes me a more well-rounded person. And you thought that from the beginning? 
I, since I read about Kitchen Table Poly at the very beginning, yes, that is what I had been wanting. I didn't know about Kitchen Table Poly until, I don't know, two years into my journey, almost three years. So <laughs> it was, well, since I figured out the word polyamory before I knew all of that. You were just and doing I was just thing. doing friend swapping and, and that sort of thing. That was all different. But like once I learned the polyamory rule book or learned that there was a rule book to follow, <laughs> I mean, like I didn't, I didn't figure out KP or kitchen table poly until a couple of years into it. Yeah. So I think I'm kind of lucky that I came into this journey only five years ago. And so there was a lot of information out there that really helped. So I'm still kind of a baby in all of this. There's a lot of other people who have a lot more experience and expertise on the situation who have really helped me along on my journey. And I've been so thankful for the online community that I have found for all the websites that are out there and forums and things like that. Because in the beginning, when I was trying to figure all of this stuff out, I had no one to go to. Like none of my friends understood what I was going through. So being able to go to Facebook groups and, and say, hey, I'm really struggling with this issue. Can I get help? The support was just amazing. Do you think the online groups in general have been more of a help for you when you were newer and learning? Whereas now you've kind of got a footing on it, you know what you're doing a little bit, you know all the terms. Do you still use the Facebook groups or was it better for you in the very beginning? I would say it was better for me in the beginning. I don't really use a lot of the Facebook groups now. I'm still a part of them and I still enjoy reading things now and again, but it seems like a lot of people who utilize the online groups tend to be newer in their journey or, you know, are, and I hate to say this, you know, the unicorn, unicorn hunters right. out there um, using the group to find, you know, hot by babes. <laughs> I totally get it. Yep. I remember when you first came into all the Facebook groups, at least the ones that I was a part of. Yeah. And I remember immediately seeing you and being like, I really want to get to know that person. <laughs> and I always thought, oh, she's never going to, she's never going to talk to me. Like, so then you get involved the way you did and us building the friendship that we've gotten has been a really fun and exciting thing for me. Yeah. I'm really thankful that you've come into my life and I'm not asking any questions here. <laughs> I'm just sharing. <laughs> Just because You're making me feel gooey. <laughs> I want to make you feel gooey. <laughs> but I mean, like, I do remember that. And it was years and years ago. And even when you got involved and you started to help me mod some of these groups, and we just had this fun, flirty friendship. And I still have great memories of like, maybe when I messed up as a moderator, and you actually called me out, and I had to apologize. <laughs> And That's I so let funny. you choose my apology, and you're like, why don't you write me a love poem <laughs> and post it publicly? I was like, fuck. <laughs> and I, you did it. Yeah, you did. I did it. I really like, again, I'm just kind of flattering you. I remember being able to see your growth when you came in to when you joined the mod team to even now and being like, oh, shy, quiet Amelia is growing and now she's posting in these chats. Now she's got a girlfriend, look at this happen. Like the growth and watching you develop just in your poly journey was very apparent to those of us who were stalking you. <laughs> That's true. I appreciate that very much, especially coming from you guys who I view as like polyam royalty a little bit. <laughs> Stop! 
I've always looked up to you guys and your relationship and your role in the community because you bring the community together and you've been doing that for a very long time. And without the work that you guys have done, I don't know if my journey would have gone the way that it went. So thank you. Squishy, mushy love fest right now. All the love. <laughs> so my favorite time you looked up to me? <laughs> was when I was on my knees. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Back to business, I guess, whatever. Now that you have found yourself where you are today and you've been on this journey as long as you've been on, what are your hopes for your love life and relationships going forward? I really hope that it kind of stays the same as where it's at now. I'm really liking where things are going. I'm pretty saturated at the moment. And you said you have one nesting partner and three non-nesting. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty saturated. <laughs> that's pretty saturated. And it's hard because I make connections really easily and I love people. As much as I say that I hate people, I love people and I connect with people easily and I like the things that people bring out in me. So it's hard to not want to continue to meet people and make connections. That being said, I really want to grow deeper into my current relationships and see where they kind of go because it's been my nesting partner and I have been together for five years. Uh, then my girlfriend and I have been together for two years and then my newest partners and I, <clears throat> which is a couple. So yes, I am a unicorn <laughs> has been, it's been about six months. And so I have different length relationships. I'm at different places in each relationship and I I'm loving going through all of that with them and meeting different unique milestones within each of those relationships because I'm not necessarily going to be on the relationship escalator in the same way with each of those relationships. Do you have examples of some of those milestones, some of those non-traditional milestones? I would say like sharing first nudes is pretty exciting. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> I like that. You know, the first time like you fart in front of your partner, like. <laughs> Can I just say that in three years, he has never farted in front of me. What? In, he won't do it. In three years, she got it out of the way on like week two. <laughs> it took me about four, no, it took me about five years. I'm just getting comfortable now. Yeah. <laughs> the other day, he sat down in the chair or something and it squeaked. And I got excited. I was like, oh my God, did you get hurt? <laughs> I'm just not ready for that level of commitment with you, Bella. <laughs> I think another really big milestone for me is when I get to have my own toothbrush at my partner's house. I'm, I'm a staple enough in the home that I get my own toothbrush there. Like I don't have to travel with it anymore. Well, and that's kind of cool because like when you're thinking about monogamy, there are definite patterned steps on the escalator. And polyamory has entirely different milestones as far as how to gauge a relationship. And one of the things that I've found is that those milestones vary depending on the person. Like, whereas one person would love to have a hand fasting ceremony or some kind of commitment ceremony, another person, that's not what they want. And so right. their own toothbrush at their house is just as important, maybe, as a commitment ceremony would be to someone else. Exactly. So when you first got into polyamory and every step since then, has it been a perfect journey for you? Have you done everything right? 
Oh, God, no. (laughs) No, I've made so many mistakes with adults, with my children, with family. It's been a definite learning curve. And, you know, I train foster parents for my job. And one of the things I always tell them is the way you're going to know what works for your kids is by making mistakes. And that's what, how it works in real life too. You're not going to know what works until you make mistakes and you're like, oh, that didn't go out the way I initially had hoped it would be. Well, and the reason I asked this is because you mentioned earlier that you came into polyamory and you had this one partner and in a short amount of time, you and that partner were no longer together and you were with a different partner and a different partner. So it seems like there were some things and I know that not everything is one person's fault. So everyone had a contributing factor, but oftentimes people worry when they're coming into polyamory about making mistakes and messing up. And I think that there's not enough dialogue in the community about how it's okay to mess up. Right. Could you maybe be willing to share some scenario or some situational factor? I mean, like, I don't want to ask details. Oh, no, I'll get really, so I have a pretty specific uh, example from recently, I started talking to somebody new and had some interest in meeting this person and decided to discuss it with my partners. And it didn't go very well with all my partners because I had been telling them how I didn't want to have any new connections, how I was really happy with how things were. And so this caught them really off guard where all of a sudden I was like, I started talking to this new person. I'm going to meet them on Friday. Right. And it's like Thursday. Okay. So like I gave I gave my people no time to process anything, especially when it was I was saying I don't want any new connections, I don't want anything else. And then life happens, right? And life happened and I didn't take my partner's feelings into consideration enough of like how long are they gonna need to process this information. With my older established partners, I don't necessarily need to tell them when I'm starting to talk to somebody new or anything like that. We're just kind of more established. But with the newer partners, it's a little bit more scary for them when somebody new is is coming into the mix. And I was not mindful about that. And so it took some good conversations for them to be very vulnerable and for myself to be very vulnerable and, and work through that. That's pretty good. I mean, like, and that's one of the things that I have seen in, you know, with all these groups that we're a part of. Oftentimes you get new people coming in, they're excited, they're doing some things, and then they mess up and some things go bad and then a relationship gets broken up and then they get upset and they blame polyamory. Right. But it's no different than monogamy in the situation that you're going to mess up in a relationship that doesn't mean you should stop dating altogether. Right. We've all messed up and we all start somewhere. And even no matter how experienced you are, you still mess up. I feel like that's something we don't talk about enough because everyone wants to show that they're experienced and that they're good and they're poly worthy. Well, and what's funny too is like, I wouldn't feel as knowledgeable or experienced as I do today if I hadn't have made mistakes. If I had had a perfect journey, then I wouldn't know the possibility of what if I made this misstep. For me, I love how much I've grown just in the 10 years I've been doing, I've been practicing 
ethical non-monogamy in whatever form, I've grown so much. And the only reason is because I've made mistakes, just like you're talking about where you're like, oh, shoot, I didn't consider them or I really fucked this up right here. Did you just say shoot? Oh shoot. Okay. <laughs> I was really I was really confused about that too. I was like, are we not supposed to cuss? <laughs> no, totally. You can totally cuss. Hey, at least I didn't say shucks. Oh, that would have been fun too. Oh shucks. Gosh darn it. Gosh darn it. <laughs> so has there ever been a time since you have been exploring ethical non-monogamy where you felt like you messed up enough to where you just wanted to throw in the towel? Because it's not right for you. Yeah. The first time uh, my ex-husband slept with somebody else, that wasn't really a mistake, but I wasn't prepared for it because he slept with somebody who he said he would never sleep with. It was the honesty part. And I know things change and I, and I understood that, but that I did throw in the towel for a little bit. And I was like, I can't, I can't do this. This is too hard. And then back in monogamy for a little bit, I was like, oh yeah, I didn't like this so much before. So we've talked a little bit early on that you're pretty out. You're pretty open about who you are and your relationships. What was your experience with coming out to everybody? My mom was the one who actually suggested that my ex-husband and I open our marriage. So she was, she was pretty cool with it. She, I think, was more understanding of like a swinger's lifestyle. So polyamory is harder for her to understand but she's accepting. My dad kind of chooses to not talk about it a lot because I think what it gets down to to my dad is like, he just doesn't want to think about who I'm having sex with. So like, <laughs> he doesn't want to know about all my partners because then he's in his mind. He's like, ah. That's, that's a very dad thought process. Yeah. Right. And so I get that. I do let him know like the important people in my life but he doesn't know the details. My mom does. I tell her everything, probably things I shouldn't tell her, yeah. but that's just the way it, it kind of goes. <laughs> what about the kids? What about your kiddos? My kids know. They've known for three years now. My oldest struggled with it at first more because there was just a secrecy to it. He was like, I want to know who you're dating. So now he just wants to know when I have new connections, who I'm going out on a date with. And he wants to know my partners. And he has amazing relationships with each one of my partners and very unique relationships. Nice. And my youngest, when I came out to him, he was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> Obviously, mom. <laughs> Obviously, like, you're kissing you this girl in front of me. Like, I, I get it. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's kind of how my kids were. My son was like, I don't give a shit. Leave me alone. I'm playing my Xbox. My oldest daughter is like, I already know. You're not that sneaky. <laughs> and then my youngest daughter's like, cool, right on. To be fair, yeah. they might have been accepting of him doing it, but they were very protective of him as well. So it was right. pretty much like, I need to make sure that your girlfriends are good. Yeah. And I think that's where my oldest son is coming from, where he just wants to make sure that it's decent people and he doesn't want it he wants to have a very honest and transparent relationship with me. And if he doesn't know who I'm dating or what I'm doing, then we don't have that relationship. Oh, that's cool. I mean, like, that's one of the things that show me how important polyamory is, like in my life. When I started getting hip to the lingo, <laughs> to use an unhip lingo sort of thing here, I started understanding how things needed to change. and 
how I needed to change to accept this world around me. And I've always been pretty close with my kids anyway, but learning some of the things that I've learned through polyamory, like how open to be in and how much to communicate and different ways to not take things personally. I think there's a lot of extra parenting skill that came out of polyamory that I would never have had if I hadn't started this journey. I agree with that full heartedly. Yeah. It sounds like you get that too. And then that goes even further for me is understanding myself. How have you learned to understand yourself a bit more through polyamory? I think that polyamory has definitely helped me kind of accept who I am a little bit more. It's still an ongoing battle, no doubt. We all have our insecurities. I'm learning more to kind of accept those insecurities and and turn them more into like strengths in a little bit. I try to be as positive as possible, you know, and I know that every feeling that we have is trying to teach us something. So I just, when I'm having a feeling I'm struggling with something. I kind of like to invite that discomfort in or that feeling in and kind of be like, come sit down, have some tea. Like, what are you trying to teach me here? Because it's all a learning experience. And so I've learned to accept a lot of parts of me that I've kind of tried to just suppress because I'm in an environment now where I am truly just accepted for who I am just the way I am. Whereas before in like monogamous culture, I felt like I had to pretend to be this perfect being to fit this mold of what life wanted me to be. We ask Amelia a lot of stuff and I haven't turned a single one of these questions around onto you yet. And I generally do. That's because we're talking to her. I know, but this is a group discussion. How do you feel that polyamory has helped you grow as a human being? Well, in very similar ways to what she mentioned, being aware of that uncomfortable space and being okay with it and just kind of sitting in it. I know I've journaled a lot. And one of the tools that I've used when I'm feeling jealous and insecure and afraid or envious or any of these things, I'll write out what I'm feeling or why I'm feeling it or whatever's going on, the negative on one side of the paper And on the other side of the paper, I'll write the positive that I can learn from or that can come out of it. So even if it's something like, I'm feeling insecure about my body because he's dating a skinnier girl. On the other side of the paper, I'll be like, okay, great. Now, what is that going to do to motivate you? What are you going to change? If you're feeling insecure about your body, how are you going to change that? Or are you going to sit in it and be okay with your body as is? And how are you going to be okay with it? And where are you going from here? So I try and take the negative and sometimes I can't turn it right to a positive, but I can at least get on the neutral towards positive track. Can I help you with one of the positive yeah. from that example you gave me? Maybe. You know, <laughs> I love your body. Yes. As much as I love your brain. Yes. And dating a skinny girl and dating a heavier girl isn't, for me, a matter of what is better than the other. We're all just different. Right. And you have so much uniqueness to you, you're going to stand out from a lot of other people because of that. And I still think you're fucking hard. I know you do. Sometimes I don't. So start adding that to your face. <laughs> Joshua says I'm fucking hot. There you go. <laughs> I second that. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm also just trying to learn from everything. 
and uh, see where I'm excited for whatever happens next. Like I don't like putting restrictions on things. I don't want to be stuck in a box. I want to mix in some of the relationship anarchy stuff and focus on my friendships and strengthening them and deepening them. And if something comes from a friendship and becomes more than cool and great, but I don't want to be stuck in the, um, this is how it's supposed to be. And your romantic relationships must mean more than the friendships or whatever. Right. So right. I just want to explore and see what happens. And then being able to just have sex with a friend without being like, now we need to be a relationship. Totally. Let's just all cuddle fuck and it'll be a good time. I would love nothing more than that. I am a hypersexual person. I like sex. I like to know, like, no sex with new people. And so I would, I would like to have sex with my friends, you know, just because I think that would just deepen that connection. It's actually really nice. So in this podcast, I've referred historically to the time of my life where I didn't build commitment relationship kind of friendships. I had multiple friendships and we just happened to fuck if we wanted to. And it didn't mean that we had to put a ring on it later or something. It was just, we're all friends that just happen to sometimes fuck. Right. And I have to say that one of the things I miss about that point in my life is the ability to just not have to worry about, okay, now this means this is going to do this. And now this means this is going to do this. It was truly a relationship anarchist feeling and culture without even knowing what relationship anarchy was. So that's a good question I have then for both of you. Yeah. Do you yeah. think being polyamorous or just ethical non-monogamist, do you think now that you've got a word for it to define yourself in some way, has that created more questions? Like when you connect with somebody now, is it, oh my God, what is the title and where is this going? And we have to do this or we, you know, we need to talk about this because we always have to communicate versus just connecting with someone naturally. You don't have to have these big discussions. You can just fuck and no big deal. Or is it more of the talking involved now that you know what it is? You want to answer that first or do you want me to go? I'll, I'll answer. I, Cause I think maybe our responses might be different. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, I think that, it's been kind of twofold. Like I've had both experiences where people just want, they want to talk about their labels and things like that. And other people who are like, all right, like <laughs> I'm thirsty, you're thirsty. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it really comes down to where I'm making those connections. So if I'm making a connection on a polyamorous site, then I get more conversations that are bogged down in titles and things like that. And how do you poly and how do you handle this? And what are your agreements and things like that? Where if I'm on just like an ethical non-monogamous site where there's polyamorous people, there's swingers, there's people who are open, there's not that same kind of talk in that same way. I think that sometimes polyamorous people can be a little bit holier than thou. And I think they can get really heavy really quick. We do want to have all the very good and serious conversations like the agreements and is there a safe sex practice? And we want to have all those conversations, but sometimes as a whole, as a group, we forget to kind of have a little fun in the beginning of exploring too, without the heaviness. Yeah. So are you, are you good with your answer, Amelia? <laughs> no, I'm not. I want to add to it actually. Okay. Well, okay. That being said, 
I want a relationship with people who relationship similar to me. So I like to know how other people identify. I, if somebody identifies only as a swinger, I'm going into that relationship with the understanding of I shouldn't get my heart involved because their heart can't reciprocate that. So I like to know that I like to know if there's hierarchy because then I'm going to set myself up differently for the relationship versus if it's non-hierarchical. So I, I enjoy those conversations. However, I agree, Bella, they do just get, it gets like a little serious too fast. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, I just wanted to flirt with you and maybe see some teasing pictures. And now we're talking about how we're in a relationship together, like five years down the line. (laughs) And I'm probably guilty of that because my heart gets, uh, it gets involved so fast. We could be talking about our kinks and let's talk about that double-headed dildo that I want to use and let's talk yeah. about the things. And then my heart gets involved. I'm like, oh, but wait, does that mean I can call you my girlfriend? And what does that mean? And where are we going? I, I just thought of Billy Mays. But wait, there's, there's more. more. <laughs> yep. So I, I think that I... Do you still have more? <laughs> no, it's all you now. Okay. Go boss, man. I just... Uh, you know <laughs> that, I love it when it's... that turns him on. You know that, right? Oh, I will use it more often now. <laughs> better. Anything for you, boss man. Where I struggle sometimes with polyamory. Okay, I love the communication, and I feel that that's vital for every relationship you have, whether it's a lover, a friend, family. I think open and honest communication is essential to any successful relationship. And I use polyamory to help my kids grow as human beings by using the tools I've learned in polyamory and giving it to them, not as a romantic tool, but as a life tool. With that said, there are times where I miss just the casual hookups and I miss just having friends without having to worry about, does this mean we're going on dates now? And does this mean that like, okay, so we're at a party and we have been flirting all night, a little booze got involved, and we're both obviously very consenting. And next thing you know, we end up having sex as friends. And then there's that thought, oh shit, we just had sex. Does that mean, do we need to have a conversation about, are we in a relationship now? And how often do we have to go on dates? And what are the types of commitments and expectations that suddenly leap into all of this? And my time in my late teens, early 20s, before I knew the words for this, when I was practicing, I guess, relationship anarchy, Mm -hmm. we didn't have to worry about that. I'd have girls that would come over to my house and we were all just friends. None of us were really dating. If we were high or, or if we were just having a good time listening to music or whatever it was, and then we ended up having sex, that was just something we did. And it wasn't something where now we're packing commitment or packing expectations or labels and titles onto it and sometimes i do miss that and i feel that since finding polyamory as a defined lifestyle Mm -hmm. that it's kind of boxed me in a bit well and now i want to clarify you don't feel boxed in because let's say this party happens and you hook up with this random guest you're not feeling boxed in in conversation that you'd have to have with me because we have had the like these things might happen and what ifs you're more boxed in about the person you just connected with and oh shit where is this going with this person are you trying to escape blame on this no i'm I'm (laughs) trying to clarify because i feel like 
in like you're not talking about me because we've no. had those conversations. You're talking about the person you just physically connected with, and now do they think this means more? Not even that. I mean, I'm not even talking on like a person-to-person basis. I'm talking about the model of ethical non-monogamy yeah. of polyamory, where the premise is that I'm polyamorous. So now I talked about communicating relationships, and and I'm required to build this structure with a person rather than just you know not worry about like the level of commitments or you know we're just we're just being friends or we're just exploring what life is because of the fact that polyamory is so much talked about and as much as everyone says you can't polyamory the wrong way there are plenty of opinions that you can definitely <laughs> polyamory the wrong way and in some ways they're correct depending on the person but we're all different and since i've I guess labeled myself as polyamorous, I've created my own expectations yeah. and my own belief system of, oh, this is how it's supposed to be. And only in the last two or three years am I trying to break that because I've realized I've boxed myself in. Right. Almost like if you just changed your own title or your own identification to be, I'm a polyamorous relationship anarchist swinger you know like right but then you're still just adding labels instead of taking stuff away yeah and and it's almost like if you think about you're going out to face the world and it's we're going to go the fantasy setting with dragons and minotaurs (laughs) and stuff and you're going out to face the world and there's all these obstacles in the form of physical monsters you want to be protected against the minotaur and the goblins and so you're setting up extra pieces of armor and you're grabbing a shield and you've got your weapons, right? Each of those things is a label, yeah. right? So your armor is your polyamory and then your shield is now swinger and then, you know, your weapon is relationship anarchist or whatever it is. I mean, if I, if I got a little too much there, I apologize. But for me to visualize that, like you're just, I feel like I'm boxing myself in or I'm putting on too much armor. <laughs> And sometimes I think that I totally forgot what the question is. I'm just riffing. I know. (laughs) I think that if I were to be able to effectively strip the armor off and the shield and all the extra protections off and remember that I'm just here to live my life and to do right by myself and by people in my life, as long as whatever we agree on is okay, that's what should really matter. Not so much. Now understand I'm polyamorous. And so this is my code of ethics and you must follow these rules and guidelines. I would much rather that we remember that we're just human beings and we want to build the best story of our own that we're making. We just want connection. And sometimes that means really great long-term relationships. Sometimes that means wonderful nesting partners. And sometimes that means you just want to hook up with a friend and not have to worry about engagement and 2.6 kids and <laughs> fucking white picket fence, you know? Yeah. So it's, I feel like when I became polyamorous, I put too much emphasis on the structure of it and not enough emphasis on why I want to explore multiple relationships. And I think that bogged me down in a bit and I'm trying to learn how to get rid of that. I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> It was all very good information. I'd be a horrible interviewee because of how long-winded I am. (laughs) I think I would just add that with polyamory, we always talk about communication, communication, communication. And it's true, you have to communicate a lot. 
what I have learned is that everyone has different styles of communication. So while one person could think that they're communicating very clearly and transparently, the other person might not be getting that same message. Right. And so it's been really working on my communication style and all the different types of communication styles so that I can communicate with my partners in the way that they need to hear things. It's kind of like the love languages thing, you know, you have to adapt your love languages to your partner's love languages. So they're feeling loved and appreciated. It's the same way with communication. You can't just expect everyone to be communicating in the same way. Let's say you've got multiple chats going on. Maybe it's not in person right now. How do you shift your communication style from one person to the next, trying to speak to them so they understand if they don't communicate the same way as this other partner? Right. Well, so I have one partner that likes to communicate more through like memes and things like that. And so, you know, finding memes that kind of just speak to how I'm feeling in that moment can kind of help and be like, oh, okay, I get it now. Things like that. I have other partners where it needs to be just more simple and concise and other partners where I can really elaborate more because it's not going to become overwhelming. Yeah. Okay. And then I got another one because you have so many partners. It's like the age old question. How do you guys schedule and plan? (laughs) Google calendars. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it's scheduling is really up to me and my partners and what works for us, we don't have a set schedule, so to speak. I do have, I tend to have every other Thursday night reserved for my couple that I'm seeing. Um, and then with my nesting partner, I just see them all the time. And I love that. Which is great. And then with my other partner, we just kind of, we check in every day and we just make sure we're scheduling times, multiple times a week to kind of see each other and check in. And that kind of works for us just because we both like are just fiercely independent and like to kind of schedule things that way. But Google Calendar and shared Google Calendar is the way to go. Yeah. Yeah, it sure is. He's working on his calendar skills. I've been working on my calendar skills my whole life and I still fail at it. (laughs) She puts stuff on my calendar. I even, like if it's something that I'm doing exclusive of her, she still puts it on my calendar because I just don't. <laughs> but it helps. It helps Bella know what's going on. Like, so, cause I imagine that you guys share a calendar, right? So you can see what's on his, what's on hers. And that can be really helpful. I like being able to see my other partner's calendars. So I know when I'm scheduling something, oh shit, that's date night. Probably shouldn't schedule it then, you know, kind of a thing. Um, yeah, and that's that's you, you make a valid point about making sure that everyone shares calendars. And I'm sure that Bella absolutely adores the fact that my calendar is always fucking empty, even though I've got stuff going on. Because every once in a while, I'll get a notification on my phone that says, don't forget you have this thing coming up. And I'm like, I never put that on the calendar. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank goodness for Bella. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I know what I'm doing. But taking the time to put it on a calendar sometimes is, I don't know, it doesn't register, you know? It doesn't take that long. Like literally- It stresses me the fuck out to think that you're not putting things on your calendar. <laughs> Dude. 
<laughs> I don't have to. I have Bella to do. No, we will be sitting on the couch, and he's like, "Hey, blah blah blah, my son's gonna come over on this day or whatever." I'm like, "Cool." And then a little bit later, I'm like, "I bet he didn't fucking put it on the calendar." I'm gonna have to go do that now, and it's gonna be the day of, and we're gonna forget that tonight was the night. <laughs> yeah, but I don't generally forget. So I'm guilty of doing something kind of similar to that. I don't do very good at like setting reminders for myself. So I have a partner set reminders for them so that they will then remind me. That's kind of how I do it. It works out well. It, it's, it works out well. That's in our dynamic that works out well. So I can't expect that from every dynamic. I think this is about all the time we have for today. Oh, that's fine. I just like talking to them. I know. I know. I'm not saying we got to end it because I want to end it. I'm saying we got another appointment. <laughs> we can always have another chat another time. This was kind of nice. Once I got over my, like, awkwardness, this was great. Yeah. yeah. And it's just us. Yeah. And I miss you guys so much. <laughs> I know. I miss hugs. I just, oh, God, hugs. <laughs> so what are you most excited for once the isolation is over? What are some of the first things you want to do? That's a good one. I want to see my community. I want a party of some sort just to see everyone again. I feel like we have a very good community built where we see each other a lot and we have a lot of gatherings and we haven't been able to do that. And that's, that's been hard. Those gatherings really just recharge me and I miss that. It would be good to set up a post-quarantine party. Yeah, I, I think so. Date to be determined, and then we all plan. I, I'm sure there's going to be a ton of these parties, but I still want to throw one. Well, we can even, I don't, I don't know when, obviously it'll be date to be determined. We'll have to keep moving it back or whatever. But my birthday is also in July. I mean, so then you can go celebrate a birthday post-quarantine or whatever. Yeah. I don't know, we can plan in July, August, September, months of the con. Well, and I think that there are some people that have had birthdays during quarantine mm -hmm. that didn't get to have their birthday bash. So one of the other things I wanted to do oh, was find out who had them and get a party built for all of them. Just quarantine birthday bash? Yeah. That's awesome. I like that idea. Yeah. Well, okay. I guess we're done. <laughs> Well, I want to thank you so much for being our phone interview. It went Yay! so well. Yay! I had a lot of fun. And thank you. I'm really glad that even through all this that we can stay connected and stay in touch and that you decided that it was cool to come out and talk about how you're living in quarantine as a polyamorous in this time. So I appreciate everything that you had to say today. Yeah. Thank you. So until next time. See you next Tuesday. <laughs> Bye, Amelia. Bye. Thank you for talking your poly off with Bella and Monsina. You can find our Facebook page in the links or by searching for I Love Polly and liking the page Polyamory Get Your Heart On. You can also find I Love Polly on Instagram and Twitter by searching I Love Polly Cares. If you want us to help you navigate to all of our online presence, check out the show notes or come on over to ilovepoly.org. We would love to hear from you. That's right. And you can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at ilovepoly.org. That's singular podcast, not plural. 
So until our next discussion, Polyam fam, live like there's no tomorrow, laugh until it hurts, and, and love, love without, without limits. limits.